WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claimed the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. Yes, if you don't recognize my voice, I am back. My name is Ethan Frank. Today is Friday, February 23rd, recording this early afternoon here on a nice, sunny, mild day in Syracuse for the winter. I believe Puxatani Phil said said it was going to be an early spring, and it seems like it's going to be that way in Syracuse. Uh, Looking at my, my... Uh, The Ethan Frank forecast says it's 49 degrees right now in Syracuse and it's going to be 61 on Tuesday next week. I mean, look at, look at this weather. I'm joined today by Hudson Ridley. Hudson, how are you? You know, Ethan, I'm good. They say Puxatani Phil hits at like a 39% clip. I think you can bump him up to 40 now. I think this is pretty fair. It's a good year for Phil uh, and it's a good year for the Ostrom Avenue podcast because as always, we're brought to you by Empire Hearing and Audiology. We thank them very, very much for their support of the show. Um, A couple things off the top before we get into some basketball talk. I haven't been here the past past two weeks. MIA. Um, MIA. It's really probably been three weeks since I've been on the show. I've been I've been a world traveler. Um, So uh, I thank you to Jordan and Hudson for holding it down in my my absence. Um, I did catch up with uh, with Brent. Uh, I told him I was sad to miss his appearance on the show a couple of weeks ago. It was a um, great one, too. Yes. So a- so tell me. So I've heard about this Sixes Club. What is going on with this? What's the Sixes Club? So the Sixes Club, He he's one of the, I think, few guests to make uh, six appearances on the show. He's a very illustrious guest. So he said, well, for six, feels like I deserve some kind of some kind of trophy or some kind of plaque. So. My my plan is, I said, oh, six is pretty good. But for the sevens, if he's listening to this, hey, Brent, for the sevens, the plan is a little um, is a little laminated, laminated certificate. Oh, wow. Seven appearances on the Ostrom Avenue. Podcast. I think that should be framed in his podcast background. I, I so... mean, it has to be. There's a lot of stuff back there, but you can make room for it. Brent. Yeah. So in all honesty, there were a couple. So I. I, I watched until I couldn't watch any more of the Wake Forest game. Um, That's part of my travels. I caught about the last 10 minutes of the Louisville game on my phone. Um, I barely stayed awake through Clemson game after flying overnight the night before. Um, and then I was at the North Carolina game um, working. So I got to see all of that. That was very cool to be at. Um, but I And then I completely missed Georgia Tech. And then I was back for NC State. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, you know, it's been a little spotty here and there. Uh, before we talk about Syracuse basketball, I would like to say 
Uh, the media cup was last night. And unfortunately, WAER, myself and, and my teammates, we did not, we were not able to make it three in a row. Uh, it was a really tough game. 51-46 was the final score. We were down 21 points at one point in the second half and eventually cut it to two with about two to three minutes to go. Just just didn't have enough to get it over the top. Um, and it happens. It, it you know, it is what it is. Um, we 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 tried our best effort, you know. Jim Beheim, you know, as tomorrow's Jim Beheim day, Jim Beheim will be proud. Our two-three zone worked to perfection in the second half to aid the comeback, but unfortunately, just didn't have enough uh, to, to to get it over the hump. Um, you know, that's life. Uh, the last twelve hours have not really been very fun, um, but but that's life sometimes. Hudson, you yeah, were there. I, you were there on the bench. What was it like from from I the was. bench? Um, there were certain points in the game where the bench just kind of died a little bit. And I think that's what it was. But then during the comeback, I mean, you've never seen you've never seen more of an explosion from the bench. The bench was excited. I will say, and I'm not pointing fingers. I think we still would have lost regardless. But the ref on our side of the court in the second half was one of the worst I've ever seen officiate. A yeah, the the refs. It, it's never good. Like it's there were three good. steps taken at one point, and I was like, "That's a travel." He's like, "No, he can take three. It's like, "No, no, that right there was a travel." Like what he did, there was no gather to travel. So I mean, that that being said, though, it was still really fun. My my roommate was the coach of the other team, uh, so I got in his ear a little bit, and then towards the end, as he was blowing the lead, I was I I walked up to him at half court, and we were talking. I was like, "Hey, man, you run a pretty good offense here, Kyle Shanahan." <laughs> don't call me kyle shanahan don't you dare call me kyle shanahan and you know they pulled it out in the end but i told them and i know ethan this won't be any solace to you next year if war is within 10 points of the daily orange in terms of winning it's a failure we we need to win like, by the three the, the the three best athletes i mean the problem in the game was we got we got bullied for the first 20 25 minutes yeah. Just we got high pressure. They had a high pressure defense. They were picking us up at half court, three quarter court, making us work to get the ball up the floor. And we just weren't prepared. Uh, we weren't under control. We weren't calm at all. Uh, just a lot of turnovers. Um, and that slow was to make adjustments. Yeah. Too. Yes. I we were very slow. We, we did as much as we could at halftime and in the second half. Um, but it just ended up being a little too much, too much to overcome. And they, they, I mean, frankly, they're in better shape and better athletes than we were. Um, they, and they and that's just the, kind of, and that's just kind of what happened. Um, but all those athletes are graduating. So hopefully, um, and our best player will be back next year. So that's that's the good news. That is true. Our best player, our center, the guy that they were scared of, is back next year. Our lineup is looking something like six five, six four, six three, six two. And then we need a point guard. Who's and six lineup? Who who are you talking about here? Who's six three? You? I'm not 6'3". Max Gifford is 6'3". Nathaniel Cunningham is 6'4". Yeah. I'm 6'2". And then we just need a point guard. That's like a that's a that's a that's a solid lineup that would yeah. play smart yeah. ball. Gonna have a lot of size. Gonna have a lot of size next year. Yeah. Um, but we'll hopefully be able to bring it back to to WAR next year. Um, all right, let's get to the team that plays basketball on television. Um, <laughs> that would be that would be Adrian Autry's squad. 87-83 over NC State on on Tuesday night. This is a such a weird game. I mean, Chris Bell goes eight for eight from three to start the game, has twenty six points at halftime, and then does not score in the second half. 
finishes eight for 10, which drew the ire of, of all people, Draymond Green on Twitter, uh, probably going to be a basketball Hall of Famer, uh, is tweeting about Chris Bell and criticizing Adrian Autry and the Syracuse staff. Um, but before we get to that, what, what were your overall takeaways from the game and how it played off the Georgia Tech loss uh, on Saturday? I mean, I think it played well, especially in the first half off the Georgia Tech loss, but it just it it causes more problems again. I think it's a it's a win and it's a win over a, a solid NC State team, but they beat them earlier in the year. And this is now seven wins straight over NC State. This is a team that at this point you really expected to beat, even if they're on the same level as you, you're expected to beat them. I just think the way in which the offense ran in the second half is my biggest takeaway from the game. Not Chris Bell hitting eight straight threes to open the game. No, not Quadir Copeland having a, a fantastic game and making a couple highlight real plays and really keeping this team ahead of NC State. No, I think it's the fact that the team just completely collapses in the second half like that and ball movement is terrible. Chris Bell, Chris Bell was nowhere to be found. In the second half, like Draymond Green said, here's here's what Draymond Green said word for word. And I, I agree with him. I personally think that if I ever coached college basketball, I destroy all these guys. I just watched Chris Bell start eight for eight from three in the first half and finish eight for 10. They didn't have him set one back screen, but only sat in the corner. Didn't run a pick and roll with him as the back action. I just think then that's what Draymond said. And I, I agree with him. Like they the offense is so stagnant that even when you have a great shooter in Chris Bell and you get him into open spots, even when that goes right, eventually the offense is so stagnant that it's going to go wrong and it went wrong. And they, they better be thanking their lucky stars that they pulled out a narrow win in that game. They should be thanking Carter Copeland. I mean, the guy had 25 points on 10 of 13 shooting and made five out of six free throws. Yeah, without um, Quadir Copeland, this isn't even... Quadir Copeland caught, what, close. three Judah Mintz air balls and put him back up and in for layups uh, yeah. un under the basket? It's you know, It was Chris Bell in the first half. It was Copeland in the second half. The two of them combined for 51 of Syracuse's 87 points, and then Starling and Mintz combined for, for, for the other, for 28. So that basically gets you to 80 and then just ancillary scoring from, from, from the rest of the rest of the players. But Hey, a big two points from Justin Taylor, though. Take two points. We've become accustomed to a big two points from just. Um, but yeah, I, I, it just doesn't make any sense how you're not running like, and and it, it was been interesting to see Autry and his whole staff be on the defensive this week, uh, after these comments because that's anyone wants to talk about when a player of Draymond Green is tweeting about what you're doing on offense. This is a problem we've been talking about all year. Why Syracuse has had issues because its offense is. ISO let our creators create. And if they don't create, uh, uh, uh what do we do? Yeah. And what do when, we do? And when one of your main creators is just now only worried about getting to the free throw line somehow, then it, and he, it's taken a, a, an extra gear out of him. Then all of a sudden you have to rely on, I, I'm not going to categorize this as a miracle performance, but I am going to actually say this is a miracle performance by Chris Bell. That's yeah. what this was. Like, he is a good shooter. Don't get me wrong. He's a very good shooter. But this was a miracle performance. Eight for eight to start the game from three. That's a miracle. No, so it, it, does, it does not happen very often. It, no. no, that does not happen. He, he almost broke the Syracuse. It was nine. I mean, it looked like he was going to race past it. I, I mean, he had eight in the first half. You figured he had eight with a couple minutes, like a couple seconds to go in the first half. And you went, oh, wow. Well, I mean, he's going to breeze past this. 
then just nothing. Second half, nothing. Took one three. Um, yeah, it, it, baffling, just, just baffling. So speaking of this offense, when Chris Bell was hitting all those threes, Judah Mintz was on the bench in the first half and Syracuse's offense was humming. Uh, they scored 55 points in the first half after scoring 60 against Georgia tech on Saturday though, in 40 minutes, but then only 32 in the second half. I mean, it's hard to argue that the offense wasn't better when Judah was on the bench. Like that's no. kind of what happened. This is a take that I've had for since our Ostrom take factory. I don't know if you remember in Jan, early January, I think is when we did our first Ostrom take factory. And I said, you know, Ethan, I know you're not going to be here, but I'm excited for next year when Quadier Copeland is the starting. And player. I agreed with you. I, I mean, how, how could I, how could that night excite? I mean, me? no, no, I understand, but it isn't even a Quadier Copeland thing fully. It's also kind of a Judah Mintz thing. And he's a great player. He's a very talented player. His play style is just a little all, and he can pass too. That's the thing. But his play style is a little all me, me, me. It's all about me, me, me. And what can I do to get to the lane? And I understand he's being set up that way. Like we talked about, the offense is stagnant and it's letting the creators create and going iso ball. But there, there comes a time where you even if you're in that offense, you got to realize this offense doesn't work, especially no. if Judah, Judah being me, then if I'm not creating, this offense is not working. OK, I'm having a bad day creating. Let's just figure out something else instead of just, OK, I'm just going to take it to the rim again. All right. right. It's like it's game. like look at the last four games. Clemson in a loss plays all 40 minutes, 14. And this is probably the worst game of the season. All 40 minutes. 14 points, five assists, but goes six for 18 from the field and only one of two at the free throw line. And I, you know, after that game, the, 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 the discourse was, Oh, Jude, a bad Judy game. I don't think he spoke to the media after the game um, either. And the Joe Gerard return game. Then three days later against North Carolina plays probably his best game of the season. He was terrific against North Carolina plays all 40 minutes, eight of 11 from the field, nine of 11 from the, from the line, five rebounds, four assists, and scores 25 points. And then these last two games scores 14 and 15 points respectively. He shoots under 33% from the field in each of those two games. And he didn't get to the line as much as he did against Carolina or against Louisville two weeks ago. And it's just like, there's no consistency here. No, no consistency. Like the not. highs are really high, but the lows are are also like pretty low and detrimental to the team. Yeah, the lows do hurt the team at this point. And it's it's when he's jostling for free throws, too, I think is when this team really just starts to go all the way downhill. Ethan, the other the other day I did a uh, I, I did a piece just examining what what Judah Mintz's free throw numbers look like. And at the time, I know the numbers have changed probably in the last couple of days, but at the time, Judah Mintz with 223 free throws led the ACC. The next closest behind him was 80 behind. In the ACC, 80 behind him. Right now, he's he's top five in the country in free throw attempts, but he's outside the top 300 in free throw percentage. Like he, or free throws made percentage. He, just searching for fouls does not help this team. Now, when he shoots- it's, And over, it's not fun to watch either. It's not fun to watch. That's exactly the thing. If you're not going to be good, just at least don't be boring. You know? Yeah. It's, it's it's that it's that kind of offense with Syracuse basketball. If it's going to be boring, if it's going to be bad offense, don't be bad and boring. And there are times where it's bad and boring. Yeah. It, it's hard to, 
Like that we had, there was a huge debate about this on Tuesday on the double overtime after the game between uh, Andrew Sullivan and Steven Sklar versus Tyler Aiken. Sullivan and Sklar were both on the side that Mintz is not the most important. Like not it, who would you, if you had one person to pick to come back next year for Syracuse, who would it be? And each of them, the two hosts said they would rather have Starling or Malik Brown come back before yeah. they pick Judah Mintz. I would, I and, would one hundred percent say, Malik and I Brown. would agree. I would, yeah, I would definitely say Malik Brown. I don't know about JJ. I mean, like, and then the thing with this as well is, is, is still just a level of maturity. Like Starling and Brown are like the only two kind of adults on this team, and we've said it all year. This is a really young group. Like even after the win, you saw Quadra Copeland like doing the doing the talking hands to the crowd. Like he was jousting with the crowd, and like it's fun during a win, but like. There, there are still these signs. I mean, Chris Bell, you could see whatever that guy's feeling. You, you could see it on his face. Um, Mintz has his moments. Um, I mean, Justin Taylor, like, who knows? He's Justin, he's Justin Taylor. Who knows? He's yeah. just there. I mean, the Benny was dismissed from the team. Like, there's there's not a lot of, of maturity on this group, which – and then I think off of that, you, you have to give a lot of credit to Adrian Autry for how he's still been able to manage this group and how he galvanized them to beat North Carolina and then come out after a really tough loss to Georgia Tech and beat NC State. Um, So he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I, I am starting to come to the conclusion that I do think this roster will look a lot different next year Um, because I think Autry ha- has learned like, oh, you know, I think, I mean, I would like Chris Bell to be back. I en- like, I enjoy Chris Bell's He's such a quick release. He's so dangerous from anywhere on the floor. I really like having Chris Bell on the court. However, like if I would like Chris Bell to be the fourth or fifth option, not the not the second or third option. I think he would do a lot better that way. Um, I would imagine that in the current starting lineup, you'll have at least two departures. Um, but like the the problem with that is I said that this time last year too, and the two departures were Edwards and Gerard who were seniors. Like I was like, Oh, there's no way all six of these freshmen in this freshman class are coming back. And then they all did plus adding JJ Starling to that mix too. So it's just really hard to predict, but I I feel like it would be pretty surprising if at least one, if not two starters were not back for Syracuse next year. And that's probably likely Judah Mintz who wants to go to the NBA, but I read two mock drafts from probably the two most reliable sources, ESPN and the athletic this week. And who did not appear Judah Mintz. No, it's because of, I mean, we've talked about this at nauseum that Judah Mintz is not like, he doesn't have the play style to be a full on NBA star guard, because that is what his play style is. He would have to be the star of a team because like we said, he has to be the star of this Syracuse team based on the way that he plays. But at the same time, he doesn't have like the athleticism of a John Morant. He's very athletic, but he doesn't have that elite athleticism that John Morant has, which is like the next key that he would be missing. If he had that, then sure. I I think he'd be a good NBA prospect. Yeah. He like yeah. I, like for me, like I don't even know what the comp is because there aren't NBA players that don't shoot, like exactly. that don't right. Like it's like what's his absolute ceiling? Is it like like I think it's like Jordan Clarkson or like a Lou Williams? Well, like Clarkson shoots. Well, I mean, Williams if he's shoots. able to develop a shot, like that's kind of the absolute ceiling. I think even if he develops a shot, it's really. I mean, it's it's really incredibly hard to tell what he could actually be. Even yeah. if he develops a shot like it, it, 
it's a mentality thing. It's not just shooting. It's a mentality thing. Like we talk about this as an NFL comparison. There are certain quarterbacks who are just starting quarterbacks. They're either a starter or they're nothing. It's like a Zach Wilson thing. Zach Wilson could never be a backup that's like a useful backup because he's not that kind of guy. He's either a starter or he's nothing. That's what it is with Judah Mintz. Judah Mintz is either a star point guard or he's nothing. Now, it feels kind of Justin Fieldsy, your boy. Okay, okay, hold on. That's a little far. But in, in terms of Judah Mintz, I think Judah Mintz, right now, I could see him being a really, really good G League starter. Like, I I could see him being a fantastic G League starter and being, like, the star on a G League team that has maybe a two-way NBA contract at some point. I could totally see that. But I don't know if he would want to leave college right now just for that future ahead. Now, that being said, I don't think Judah Mintz will be on the team next year because I think he thinks he would need a change of scenery. And I think it actually might help him a lot if he had a change of scenery and go – to a different school. I mean, he should go no. pro. No, he should go pro. If you, if you want, he, like, he, he should go pro and just start working on basketball every single day. Get a shooting coach, fix whatever is going on with his footwork when he shots. I, the best analysis I heard was from Jay Williams when Syracuse played Duke. And he's like, he's like, why is his right, his lead foot so horizontal, like parallel to the basket, not yeah. pointed at the basket? And that was like the best I was like, oh yeah, footwork is a huge part of shooting. Um, he like hire a shooting coach and get in the gym, fix whatever's going on and be a professional. I, I, that is what would be best for him. I believe. Yeah, I, I think. And I think he can totally do it. I think Judah Mintz has the potential to be a professional fully. And do I think he can make an NBA roster? I totally can right now with, with how he is right now, I cannot see him doing anything in the NBA. However, like you said, if he goes pro, if he goes to the G League, which I think he, he totally could, goes to the G League and works his way up from there, I think he could be fantastic. I yeah, really do. I, I agree. Think, I think that you're right, Ethan. I think that has to be the next step. For him. Yeah. Uh, looking looking ahead, you got Notre Dame tomorrow, which is Jim Beheim Day. You got Virginia Tech on Tuesday, and you got Louisville next Saturday. We can talk about potentially having still a sliver of hope for the tournament if you win all three of those games. But if you don't, then they're, then they're like, no, you have no. to win all three of these games. Like Notre Dame is playing really well right now, and we haven't seen these team do anything consistent. The only time they've won back-to-back games in ACC play was Pittsburgh and then the Copeland buzzer beater against Miami. The only time they've lost two consecutive games was BC and then the drubbing at Wake Forest, which was which was rock bottom. Um, there's been no consistency, but if there was ever a time for consistency, it would be right now. You got two home games. I mean, I said this uh, on on some other like Saturday noon home Notre Dame. Like you just don't lose to Notre Dame at home at noon yeah. on Saturday. On Jim um, the only team like really that Syracuse perennially loses to at home on Saturdays is Duke or Carolina and Clemson got them this year. Like parents, Clemson got them, but the norm, and I believe that was the first time they'd won in Syracuse in eight years or nine years, but normally Syracuse, I mean, Saturday noon home games are your best selling games of the year, but those are your biggest crowds, your loudest crowds um, with the most support added on the fact that you're honoring the 47 year head coach, the second winningest head coach in the history of college basketball, a basketball hall of famer. I mean, they, they just like simply cannot lose this game. No, and, and if they do, it's 
I I don't want to say embarrassing, but honestly, I no, it is. It would be. It'd be so disappointing. Embarrassing. It would be disappointing, embarrassing. All all the buzzwords. Yeah. No, I I you know what it is. It would be embarrassing. I will go that way. It it would be embarrassing. But you're right. They have two back to back home games against Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. Both of those are winnable. Now Virginia Tech's a lot better team than Notre Dame, and Virginia Tech's tough to beat on the road. But Virginia Tech at home. You have to take advantage. I know it's a Tuesday night game, and they aren't always fantastic in those, but a Tuesday night game in the Dome against Virginia Tech is a must win. Then you go on the road to Louisville after that. You have to beat Louisville. Like, you only you have to. Like two I'll at be at, yeah, I'll be at the Virginia Tech game. I'll be at the Louisville game. Um, And there'll be, so, like, Virginia. So, it, it like, this is what reeks to me. It reeks of what happened to Pittsburgh, Miami. You beat, you have a really strong road win against Pittsburgh. You have an emotional home win over Miami. And then just a complete letdown on Tuesday night at home against Florida state. That's kind of what I'm getting right now. Really nice road win over NC state, an emotional home win over Notre Dame. And then Virginia tech is the trap game. You have to avoid the trap game on Tuesday night against Virginia tech. Cause that's a team right now. Syracuse is what 15 to 20 spots outside of the, outside of the tournament right now when it comes to the bubble. So on the very outside looking in, Virginia Tech is a pretty, you know, equal team in that regard. Like they're they're right in the same, same, same landscape, same yeah. area. They're um, gonna want it. Yeah. They're gonna want it. You you have to win that game. And and then when you look at the ACC standings, there are five or six teams that are all eight and seven, eight and eight, and they're seven and eight. So you could be as high as five in the excuse me, in the ACC tournament, or you could be as low as 10 and play on Tuesday. Um, so, so like just so much at stake for Syracuse. There, there really is a lot. And it's not just in, in terms of the standings, it's a pride thing. Virginia tech at home, Notre Dame at home. We mentioned as a pride thing, Virginia tech at home feels like a trap game and it would be sad if they lost it, but it's, it's totally imaginable. But then Louisville, if you lose to Louisville and I understand it was only a two point game earlier in the year, but you have to learn from what you saw in that two point game against a, in the ACC bottom dweller, Louisville is three and thirteen in the ACC. They're eight and nineteen overall. I mean, they they got close at Syracuse to having their second away win of the entire season. Like yeah, of the entire, they're bad. Team. They're really bad. They're really they're bad. really bad team. If if you lose to Louisville, even if you beat if you beat Notre Dame, you beat Virginia Tech, even if you beat Clemson at the end of the year, you lose to Louisville, it's over. The little hope that Syracuse fans still have. If you lose to Louisville, it's done. Like the, yeah. the, the tournament odds well, are- You got to get through, you gotta get through the, the first two home games first. So let's talk a little bit about Jim Beheim Day. Um, we were talking before we started about what Jim Beheim Day actually is. And like, what is, so Jim Beheim has already had everything dedicated to him. There's no more that can be dedicated. He's in the ring okay. of honor. The court is Jim Beheim court. This is just a day of celebration for someone who has given his life to Syracuse university. I would expect a lot of his former players to be there. Obviously he has three former players on the bench with Adrian Autry, Jerry McNamara and Alan Griffin. Um, a lot of the players on the team were recruited or coached by Jim Beheim. Um, and it should just be a really, really nice celebration in the dome. Um, Syracuse doesn't lose celebration games either. Um, think back to last year, last game of the season, Syracuse had just gotten walloped in what four straight games lost by 20 plus in each game at home on the road, wherever it was, gave up like a hundred points at Pittsburgh. And then they come back against a Wake Forest team. That's better than them and beat Wake Forest at home when you're retiring Jerry McNamara and Hakeem works numbers. So it's, 
it's that kind of game. It's that yeah. kind of game. And it's, it's it's a really special day. Yeah. And like you mentioned, it the, the Jim Beheim thing about a lot of people are asking what Jim Beheim day actually is. Again, it's a day. It's just a day where we get to see and they schedule against Notre Dame probably for a reason. It's a day where it's a feel good day. And this is what this is, you know, tying back into this current team in Autry. This is something that Autry probably needs a little bit to galvanize the team. There's going to be a big crowd on hand. Like you mentioned, Saturday noon game, and it's Jim Beheim, and it's a weak opponent. If you beat Notre Dame up, then all the momentum is back on your side. Yep. You know, yep. You and that's why Tuesday's a trap game. Exactly. Which is why every everything, and always with this team, everything always goes up. It's feeling good. People start talking about the tournament again, and they go, "Well, hey!" And this is this is coming from someone who you know knew a, a decent bit about Syracuse sports, like growing up, but in the last like three or four years, really having it under a microscope. So I understand the current ebbs and flows of this team, which is not you know the 2013 team, 2014 team, like yeah. some people think that this team is. I understand what the current team is like a lot, and they will build, they will build, no and they crash. No really hard when people start talking about tournament and then fans are going to be like what ha- what happened I it's, thought we it's, it's the meme it's the godfather three meme every time they <laughs> every time i'm out they pull me back they in. pull me back in yeah i mean it, it literally it happens four times a season i wouldn't be surprised if it happens the fifth i don't know um yeah all right uh i think that's exhausted all our basketball talk we could go on forever um you want to do a little uh or before we end ostrom picks Ostrom picks. We got four regular season games to go. Yep. We got at least one ACC tournament. So at least five more games. Betting on the orange has been favorable for me. I've closed the gap on Jordan to a single game. Ooh. He's in even 500. I'm just under 500. Hudson's a little bit behind. Not out of it by any stretch. No, not at it's all. Not, not at out all. of it. Five games to go. I'll be out for two of them because I'll be on play-by-play, which will be interesting. That puts a lot of pressure on on you guys to not, not, not screw it up. I have um, no pressure right I now. I mean, I've won three Ostrom picks in a row, two football and one basketball. Um, so we're going for the four Pete. We'll see if we can get it done, but there's your Ostrom picks update. Cause we know we haven't been terrific about getting the graphics out. Um, but we will make sure in these final five games that we are getting Ostrom picks up. Uh, and you'll be seeing our former athletic selves in those, in those, in those small boxes. Exactly. Um, as the competition heats up down the stretch. All right, let's move on to lacrosse. Um, th- I know you want to talk about the Maryland game. I was out of the country, so I, I I heard what happened, but I did not see what happened. So what was going on with this Maryland game? I mean, everything. This this Maryland game was one of the more up-and-down games Syracuse men's lacrosse has seen in a, in a couple of seasons. I'm not going to say, obviously, most, because the Notre Dame game last year was just an unreal up-and-down. He had Duke, which was... Just about the same. But in this Maryland game, I mean, Maryland came out firing. This is not like a Maryland's offense is is a solid offense, but they're not like world beaters. They really rely a lot on their defense. They had five goals in the first quarter, and Syracuse was really on their back heels. But then the defense locked up. Syracuse's defense locked up the next two quarters, and it all came to a head in the fourth. Like everything you could want out of lacrosse. That was a perfect, like, if you don't know much about lacrosse, but you want to watch this game, if you watch the fourth quarter of that game and then into overtime, you'd be blown away and hooked on this board immediately. Like that game was, that game was really fun. It was a big back and forth in the fourth quarter. And then obviously, 
you know, of the Michael Leo almost scored the biggest goal of his life. But unfortunately, he did not, and he fell in the goal mouth. And the review confirmed that. Now, whether or not he 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 got pushed in or he fell in himself is that will be debated for a while. But where did he end up in the end of it? He did end up in the goal mouth. So I and then Syracuse, no excuse on the other end. They got completely caught sleeping on defense going back the other way. That that was just kind of inexcusable. They had a free cutter right down the slot and they just buried it. And that was the game. But I think overall, it was still a good sign for the Syracuse men's lacrosse team that even though, you know, they are a projected top five team and right now they're at number six, but they're they're expected to compete with these top five teams. I mean, they showed that they they can. And last year, they had real struggles competing with top five teams. Again, they competed with Notre Dame last year, but then for the first three quarters and they got the doors blown off. them. So I think this was a promising sign. For the team, and the fact that if Michael Leo wasn't in the goal mouth, you beat the number four team in the country at yeah. home after missing the NCAA tournament for the last two years. Like, this is a really good moment. That would be a really good momentum-building win. I don't think there's any such thing as a momentum-building loss fully, but I think if there was any momentum-building loss, this would be it. It's, it's just so hard. Like, this is now three years of momentum-building losses, though, in under Gary Gate. Like... Yeah, like at least especially last year, like it was like, oh, we're so close to Duke last year. We were so close to Carolina last year. We were so close to Notre Dame last year. Well, no, they beat they beat Carolina. They're right. Sorry, Carolina. Carolina. We're so close to Duke last year. We're so close to Virginia last year. We're so close to Notre Dame. It's like I'm tired of momentum building losses. Like I need to see some results here from this lacrosse program. I'm done with the talk. Well, Army Army will prove to be a yeah. decent sized game for for this team because Army is, if you lose to Army, that is that is the biggest momentum taking loss imaginable. Even though Army's a good team, Army I believe is still in the top ten. I'm gonna check inside lacrosse real quick. Army should still be in the top ten, or if not hovering near the top ten. So if you lose to Army, yeah, that's that's pretty bad. But at the same time. Like army army's uh, yeah, they're seven Syracuse is six army is seven. So that's, that's a bigger matchup than I think most people would credit. Oh, no, it's it. a huge matchup. I mean, it's, you it's have to win matchup, but I feel like it's because you lost to Maryland. I feel like you kind of have to beat army, right? Yes. You have to beat army in this spot. I mean, you have to beat the rest of the teams on your schedule until ACC play. You can't afford another loss until ACC play. Now, uh, Gary Gate before the year said, oh, well, if we beat every other team on our schedule, but we don't win a game in ACC play, I think yeah. we're still the NCAA tournament, which I think is true. But now you lose to Maryland, you have to win a game in ACC play. I think that'll come against North Carolina. North Carolina is solid, but Syracuse is just better. They were better last year, and now Syracuse is significantly better this year. <laughs> Excuse me. So I think overall – I'm fine with the Maryland loss. I really am because Maryland is a really, really, really good team. I think Maryland. This is a team that two years ago went undefeated and won the national title. Exactly. I think Maryland is a solidified top four. Like I, I think they are. I think the top four is, is solidified. I actually think the weakest link of the top four could be Notre Dame and they've played incredible all year. I think Syracuse is outside the top four. And and that's just that's the way it is. Now, are they number five? I would argue yes. Denver's a good team, but Denver, 
you know, Denver's played Hopkins and really nobody else. So I go back and forth on this, but I think the Maryland loss is good for the team. I I, I just, I hate that term. Because it's gradual, Ethan. It's gradual. I think Syracuse fans have really lost the expectations of in every sport. Syracuse fans have really lost the expectations. And yes, the expectation for this men's lacrosse team is to win national championship. Sure. This team last year was okay as freshmen. Now they're really good as sophomores. And I, I say as freshmen and sophomores because that's what a bulk of the team is. A majority of the production comes from freshmen and sophomores. And it used to just be on, on the defensive or on the offensive end. Now Riley Figueres is back and you see on the defensive end. Billy Dwan is playing great on the defensive end. And then you still have Leo and Spalina in, in attack who are playing fantastic. These guys grow together. Luke Roa has is, is really become amazing. These guys grow together. Yeah. No, no, no. I agree. I agree. They still we'll see. together. We'll see. Uh, I mean, the, it's still a tough couple non-conference games. You got Army and you got Hopkins still to come in the non-conference. Hopkins I, is a little shaky. Hopkins is How good, good is Delaware? How good is Delaware or Hobart? Uh, Delaware, Delaware is top 15, but there are echelons to this where it, it really is like the top eight, top kind of nine, if you want to include Hopkins and everybody else. And you could you could maybe throw Michigan in that group, even though they lost to Virginia. It's a good Virginia team, and it's their only loss. Delaware is good. Hopkins is pretty good. I but I still think that's you know a team that Syracuse has to beat because you know Hopkins is Hopkins has they have a track record of beating Syracuse, and if you want to yeah. get over top, you got to beat them. Um, but uh, overall, I think it's 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 momentum. It's all a momentum game. I know you hate saying that, but it is all a momentum game. Yeah. You just need to be ready um, for ACC play. I'm excited to attend some games as a fan, hopefully, um, after covering the team for a few years. Um, I don't know what, what home games I'll be available to attend. I definitely uh, – the Virginia home game in April, I know. That you is a game I'd like to go to. That's a game I'd like to go to. Um, but I'm I'm not exactly sure. There aren't that many other home games on the schedule, no. right? After after the stretch, it's basically like half the season home. Right after next weekend, right? Yeah. yeah, after next weekend, they play Army, they play High Point, and then they go to two neutral site games. They play Hopkins and Charlotte and Delaware in Chantilly, Virginia, which I have a I have an interesting take on the Chantilly, Virginia. Oh, God. Game, which I think people may find interesting. Now, hear me out. Talking about this with a few people. Where is that? I need to look at a map. I'm gonna it pull is it up. 20, it's like 25 minutes outside of DC, which got me thinking. Oh, in- interesting. Joe Biden, Syracuse, oh. Syracuse graduate. Oh, interesting. Joe Biden, Delaware graduate. Oh, interesting. It's 20 minutes outside of these. Now, I'm not saying anything, but I'm just saying I think there is a more than zero percent chance. I think there is a hear me out. If they put him in a Pope mobile and they drive him by the game and they park him in the park. Are you lot, sure he doesn't have more important things to do? I, Hey, are you saying this top 15 lacrosse men's lacrosse matchup is not as important as like global trade? I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't. I <laughs> this can't has to be one of the more absurd theories ever brought up that <laughs> Joe Biden might attend a Syracuse lacrosse game. Is, is, is this just a theory of mine because I'm covering the game? Maybe. Maybe maybe this is a theory of mine, and I'm just doing wishful thinking because I'm on the sidelines and I would like to get an interview with him. Perhaps, perhaps. But I'm just throwing that out there in the ether. And if I'm right, 
we will come back to this podcast and say, wow, he did some really good sleuthing on that. That's really impressive. All right. Yep. Yeah. You'll get a medal of honor if Joe Biden, you. you'll get, maybe I'll, yeah. I'll call Joe and be like, Joe, my friend Hudson predicted <laughs> that you'd be at this game. Can you give him the presidential medal of freedom for me? I was going to say, I will get the medal of freedom around my neck and someone's going to Photoshop the Obama meme of him presenting <laughs> himself with the medal of freedom. It's going to be me presenting myself. That'd be good. That'd be good. Um. All right. Uh, I think we've reached the end of the podcast now that we're talking about the president of the United States. <laughs> um, make sure you're following us on social media at Ostrom Avenue pod. Check out the YouTube p- channel, uh, the Ostrom Avenue podcast, YouTube page for all of our video interviews and a whole lot more content there. Uh, a lot of broadcasts on W8YR sports night tonight, Friday night, myself, Austin Barrick, Jackson Holzer on that. And then the game tomorrow, which Hudson mentioned Jim Beheim day coverage starting at 1130 Saturday morning on W8YR all the way until four o'clock after the game. We'll have a, a new pod next week after the Virginia tech game. Ooh, we'll see what happens these next two games for this basketball team. Um, and we'll see what happens at army lacrosse game, probably record after that as well. Um, so uh, a fun time to be a Syracuse sports fan. So much content to come. Thanks for listening. And of course, thank you to empire hearing and audiology for their support of the show. All right. For Hudson, I'm Ethan signing off. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next week.